the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls to answer Bible questions or life questions or whatever's going on in your heart and mind. We'll do the best that we can. You need only to call. Area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- Seven six three zero KSLR numerically at six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone and use the free KSLR mobile app. It just says one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We'd love to have your calls. Hey, only two more days to Thanksgiving. I've been thinking about, I'm doing a Thanksgiving uh, message tomorrow uh, on Wednesday night. Normally we do the Old Testament on Wednesday night. Uh, but I'm going to do a, a, a Thanksgiving message from um, Luke chapter 17. And um, it got me thinking about all the things that we have to be grateful for. I know I've said this on this program before, but but gratitude is sort of the fuel that empowers our Christian walk. Walking with a grateful heart, always mindful of the things that God has done for you. The power that he's given us. I mean, think about this. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Every day. He greets us with a brand new batch of grace. Every day, he waits for that moment when we cry out to him and come near to him. He's more excited than we are. We can be really, really grateful for all of that. And as we approach Thanksgiving, we who are believers ought to be the most grateful people of all. All of that to say, if you're a Christian and you're sort of grumpy, if you grumble and complain about things, tell God you're sorry and ask Him for forgiveness. And then He'll fill your heart with gratitude all over again. And the fuel is pretty impressive. Let's get to some questions while we wait. Any calls ahead? This one comes from Rita. She asks, is Calvinism a false teaching? Um... Read it is, but I want to make a distinction here. It's false because it's wrong. So um, I, I prefer the word wrong. It's it's incorrect. Uh, it is not heretical. I want to make that clear. Um, uh, those who who are reformed in their theology or those who are hardcore Calvinists are brothers and sisters in the Lord. I think they're missing out on a whole bunch. But it doesn't make the Calvinist a false teacher. It just makes him wrong. And Rita, there's things that we're all wrong about. This is an important one because it deals with the nature and the character of God. And I've had people who have been hurt by the doctrine of Calvinism who get really sort of 
rebellious in their opposition. No, they're heretics and false teachers. That's not the case. Some of the greatest men and women of God over the centuries have been Calvinists. You know, I don't think there's a pastor around who doesn't quote Charles Spurgeon. He was a Calvinist. If you read uh, John Calvin's Institutes, if you read the, the commentaries that, that um, have been preserved from him throughout the generations, uh, boy, he had a whole bunch right. Um, I remember um, as a young Christian just poring over the commentaries that John Calvin was responsible for and finding so much gold. It's just when they get to this, this one area where God determines everything, we don't have a choice, we don't have a will in the matter. Um, they're really, really wrong. When they limit the atonement only to those they call the elect is a horrible misunderstanding of what is presented pretty clearly in Scripture. So it's a wrong teaching. Let me use that word instead of a false teaching. But it does not mean that the Calvinists who um, are part of the church um, aren't wrong in that particular area. By the way, there's some Calvinists that I have really, really learned a lot from over the years. Um, not so much anymore. Uh, I, I just think what Calvinism does over a long period of time is makes you angry and it kind of makes your your, your heart hard. But um, I learned a lot from John MacArthur. Uh, Alistair Begg, uh, I've actually been at a, at a, a pastor's conference uh, where I got to speak with him. Loves Jesus with all of his heart. He's just wrong in those areas. So, Rita, I hope that answers your question, but they don't put them on the same level as a uh, heretic or a, or a false teacher. Uh, it's not their intent. They just have a wrong understanding. Uh, I think when we all get to heaven, we're going to find out we're wrong about some things. I just hope when I find out what I'm wrong about, it's not some of these really, really important things. Hope that helps. Here's a question from Bob. I like this question. He says, Pastor Ron, is there a different level of punishment in hell for some sins as opposed to bigger sins? Uh, Bob, the answer is yes. Now, all sin separates us from God. And if we enter eternity uh, apart from Jesus Christ, then there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, the worm doesn't die. Luke chapter 16, uh, the rich man says, I'm in torment in this fire. Uh, he wanted... Lazarus to come and cool his tongue and wasn't, of course, permitted to do so. So all hell is going to be literally hell. But just as there are different degrees of rewards in heaven, there are different degrees of punishment in hell. Luke chapter 12, verses 47 48, Jesus says the servant who knows this is a parable, that servant who knows his master will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much, much more will be asked. You know, Bob, one of the things that I think about in this, I think about people that have been really gifted by God. I mean, they wouldn't acknowledge it, but we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We listen to people who, uh, let me just use rock stars or movie stars or famous athletes. I used to think this about Tiger Woods. I, I used to be a golfer and uh, I, I just think, boy, nobody's ever played the game as well as he did. And this is a man who ought to be on his face with gratitude to God. And instead he takes the approach that, you know, I worked hard. This is my hard work and I made myself this good. Um, you know, even though he's not a believer, much, much more will be asked of him. He's been given much, much will be demanded, and he's going to be found wanting. So yes, you know, if somebody is a murderer, they're going to be punished more severely than somebody who just hates someone. Somebody who's sexually immoral is going to be punished more severely than somebody who just lusted in their mind or in their heart or fantasized about sexual immorality. But, but make no mistake, Everybody is separated from Christ. And to be separated from Christ is exactly what we call hell. 
So, Bob, there are going to be different levels of punishment. Why? Because we serve a just God, and he's going to punish people perfectly. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inboxer, Michael. Hello, Pastor Ron. Good day to you and Paul. I hope all is well. Question, are there any books or chapters that you would recommend to read when someone has been disobedient, quit the race, and now wants to course correct in getting back home? I know we should be reading the entire Bible, but I was just curious if there's anything you would recommend for encouragement and forgiveness. And then he graciously says, I pray that our Heavenly Father continues to bless you, Paul, and Calvary Chapel as a whole. Michael, thanks very much. You know, there's... Um, um, we just finished a study, a uh, long study, in First and Second Samuel. And um, God's dealings with David are so instructive, so instructive. David is a man who had a heart after God. He wanted to do right, but just like you and just like me, he couldn't do right, and often he gave in to his flesh, and because he was so powerful, when he messed up, the consequences were horrendous. And yet God always dealt with him generously and graciously. Um, Michael, the one chapter that I always send people to when they really need to get right with God and get back home is David's psalm, the 51st psalm, after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah was discovered. David tried to keep quiet for nine months, and and um, in Psalm 51, he described what it was like. Psalm 32 is another one where he, he describes the physical manifestations of trying to cover his sin. And when you get to Psalm 51, he just mans up. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. Now, we'd look at, at David and say, no, you sinned against Bathsheba, and you sinned against Uriah for sure. But David understood that his sin was a sin against Almighty God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And he doesn't make excuses. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful in my mother's womb. That's the way I was formed. But then he gets to the place where he can say, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew within me a right spirit. If your friend will do that, I promise you, he'll get encouraged and understand forgiveness the way David understands forgiveness. I can also recommend to you 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, it won't be very encouraging when you read it the first time. But then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a, a letter that was written some six months or so after 1 Corinthians. And you find out that the judgment or the punishment of the church worked. And the man that was handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, well, that, that man was restored because the discipline worked. So, Michael, I hope that helps. Let me give you one other suggestion. Um, read the treasure, the little treasure of Philemon in your Bible uh, and, and put yourself in Onesimus's place. Onesimus took a huge risk in going back to Philemon. And Paul writes a letter on his behalf. Tell your friend that Jesus is writing that letter on your behalf and the Father will receive you with open arms because that's what happens when we repent. So, Michael, thanks for the question. I hope that works. 340-9585, if you have any questions or live questions you want to answer, here's a question from Richard from our mobile app. Uh, what was Jesus trying to convey in Matthew 5.48? For we know we can only be made perfect through him. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's pretty intimidating, isn't it, Richard? Here's what we have to understand about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, you remember, was speaking to these huge crowds of people. 
and always in this huge crowd sort of gathered together up front were the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the members of the Sanhedrin and and they were questioning what authority are you do you have to say these things or to do these things? Well Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, and I love that forty eight is the last verse in chapter five. Because Jesus sums up the entire Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he sums it up this way. If you want to get to heaven apart from me, all you have to do is be perfect. Keep the law perfectly. But if you remember, Richard, what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount is he raised a standard. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. So Jesus raised a standard. It's not just the letter of the law, but it's also the spirit behind the law. And because the spirit behind the law has to be kept perfect as well, Jesus is pretty much saying to him, the only way you can get to heaven is to believe in me. We know that because he was the only one who was perfect. Now, they didn't understand what he was saying. In fact, the whole time he was declaring the Sermon on the Mount, the religious leaders would be over there agreeing that, you know, he's right, and that's the kind of righteous man that I am. But Jesus will later say to the crowd now, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will no way inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's what he was doing. He wasn't saying that we can be perfect, but the beauty for us, Richard, is that he's given us his perfection. Second Corinthians 5.21, every time I say it, I want to shout and sing. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. His perfection imputed to us, and that's why we're going to heaven. Certainly not because we're better than unbelievers, or even more godly or more spiritual than unbelievers. It's just because on the day of judgment, the people who do not receive Jesus Christ stand and give account of their own life. For you and for me, Richard, when we stand before Jesus, we're going to be judged on the basis of his life, what he's done, rather than what we've done. You know, Richard, I don't feel perfect ever. In fact, I don't even want to because I know it's a losing proposition. The enemy will use our desire to be perfect and do good and be good against us. But every day, here's something else we can be thankful for on Thursday. Every single day, when our eyes are opened and Jesus is there to say hello, every day, we're perfect. That's the way we start. And if we mess up, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we say we're sorry, we're perfect all over again. And by the way, Michael, for your friend that you were talking about who wants to know the way back, all he has to do is realize that he's perfect. That he's perfect. From our email inbox, this one is from Dorothy. Dorothy, it's good to hear from you again. Uh, Pastor on in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and the greatest of these is charity, defined as love, I know, but which is the original Greek word here. I didn't grow up in a home with the word, although to their credit, when I was six, I wanted to be in church. When it opened and my parents did take me. Uh, I didn't learn the four words for love. Can you explain briefly as you answer the one mentioned in the first paragraph? Thank you. It's Thanksgiving, so a wonderful time to give thanks and to be grateful to, for the word and for those who tell it. Thank you. And Paula et al. for telling it. Dorothy, your blind friend from Pipe Creek in uh, Hill Country. Uh, Dorothy, we we think about you and I pray for you. Um, God bless you, sweetie. And and um, uh, I'm not as blind as you are, but I'm pretty blind. And so <laughs> we we will always have that in common. Um, Dorothy, the, the, the problem isn't the word. Uh, that was translated. The word, the problem is our English language because the English language is always evolving. So when it says, and the greatest of these is charity in the King James, um, in the time when the King James was written, charity meant love. That's what it meant. So it's not charity like we're giving to somebody, 
But the idea there, the word picture was we're giving love like charity uh, to people that don't deserve it. We're doing it because um, that's what God did to us. So we don't use the word charity in that conversation more. You know that King James uses the word conversation to describe behavior. Well, conversation now, the language has evolved and it's when two people talk. They're speaking words to one another. So it's necessary to update and that's what some of the newer translations have done. The Greek word is the word everybody's familiar with. It's, it's agape. Uh, it is the unconditional, unlimited, unselfish love that is only possible from God. So if you want to know what love is, it's that kind of love. It's a love that forgave me of my sins. It's a love that waited patiently while I blasphemed God and mistreated the woman he now calls precious as she prayed for me for 13 years. God refused to change his mind about loving me because he knew there would come a day when I would be on my face and receive him. That's agape. That's agape. So Dorothy... The problem for us is that in our flesh, we're incapable of loving people that way. We're incapable. We can phileo, that's what Peter said, lovest thou me more than these, Jesus asked Peter, when Peter was being restored. And Peter's response after denying Jesus, very honest response by the way, basically saying, Lord, I like you like a brother. But I don't agape you. I thought I did, but I don't. I failed. And Jesus simply restored him, repeated it, as you know, three times. Here's what we know, and here's our hope. Romans 5 5 says that God has poured out his love, his agape, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So, Dorothy, all we have to do is have the faith to summon that love and view people that are even people that are difficult to love, people that cause us pain. And when we love them like that, it's God loving through us. So that's the idea behind charity, the King James, and love, uh, the way we understand it, it is agape love. Um, the, the four words, and you wanted, uh, we've got just about three minutes left, I think, for, for this side of the show. Um, the four words, different, different expressions, you know, we only have one word for love. Um, the Greek has four. Uh, agape, phileo, um, um, eros, uh, it's erotic love. And I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one. I know it as well as I know my own name, but I'm just drawing a blank. That's what it means to be 67 years old. Um, and they're just different kind of loves. You know, we, we say, um, I, you know, I'll look at Paul and say, I love you, Paula. We'll go to Baskin Robbins and say, I love you, Hot Fudge Sunday. So um, God's word written in Greek for a reason really kind of cuts to the core of what real love is. And... Of course, Jesus is our example. Dorothy, thank you very much. It's so good to hear from you. 340-9585. Let me see. I think I've got one more question that I can get to before the break. Uh, Henry says, what is the overall purpose of the church until Jesus comes? The overall purpose of the church is to tell everybody about Jesus. That's our purpose. We're to occupy until he comes. That means we're to live godly lives, upright lives, self-controlled lives in this present age, Paul writes. Uh, we're to be a light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the purpose of God's people forever, the Jews, of course, failed miserably. Too often the church is failing miserably, Henry. But our purpose is to be so bright to have our light shine so intensely that other people look at you and say there's something about him there's something about him or her and I need it 
So Henry, our job is to witness, to evangelize, to live lives, go to work tomorrow, be the best employee in the whole workforce. Be filled with joy and gratitude and let everybody look at you and say, what is it about Henry? And the answer is going to be, well, it's Jesus. It's just Jesus. You know, before the music starts, Paul and I, we go out to places, and one of the things that I do a lot simply because it it, it opens doors, um, you know, Paul is always meeting, Paul has never met a stranger. And so she'll go up to somebody eating at a restaurant table and start talking to him. I'll go over and talk to him. And, and you know, she's talking, I'll look at him and say, can you believe that she's put up with me for 48 years? And almost invariably the next thing is, well, 48 years, how'd you do it? And then we get to look at each other and smile and say, it was Jesus. He saved me 28 years ago, answered 13 years, and it gives us a chance to share our faith. The last Greek word was storge. Thank you. I knew it. Tenderness, affection. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls. Wes, I know you're on line one. Please hold over the rake. We'll get you right when we come back. We'll see you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program let's go right to the phones west from johnson city west thanks for holding you on the air yeah uh pastor arbor i wanted to thank you for today's show man i've uh you know even when there's no one calling in man it's been a great show and i've really enjoyed uh, listening listening to you it's been uh and what you said about a thank uh, as a christian we should be most thankful of all that was so encouraging and um, i just wanted to compliment you on your program today thank you and uh, God bless you. I'm, uh, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, you and your family. Uh, we're gathering uh, like many are, uh, and uh, there's been some there's been some problems in the family with uh, a certain couple, and we're you know they've reached out, and um, so I'm hoping hopefully we're going to all have uh, a kind of a, a get together and put some pieces back together and enjoy ourselves and uh, just be thankful. (laughs) That would please the Lord a great deal, Wes. And by the way, I'll be praying for you on Thursday. I I remember these things. So I'll I'll be praying for your family get together. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'll be be prayered up, I guarantee you. (laughs) Thanks, Wes. All right. Thank you so much. uh Enjoy your program. Thank you, S. 340-9585 for your live calls. You know, the world would say, love them to death. Well, we Christians would say, love them to life. And what a great thing. You know, every time we reconcile with somebody that um, has been shut off from us, I can almost see the smile on Jesus' face. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, obviously, the context there is we let people know how to reconcile with God. But once we've reconciled with God, then reconciling with people ought to be a given. Relationships restored. Let's go to a question from Willie. Ooh, Willie, this question happens to all of us. Willie says, I'm troubled by doubt sometimes, even when my faith is strong. Shouldn't faith always trump doubt? Willie, uh, faith and doubt are roommates. They always live together. They always live together. There's nothing that you can do um, to get rid of doubt. You know, we, 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 we say, oh, Lord, just take this from me. And I often say his answer is always, well, I did at the cross, but just by faith. And and so we have to exercise our faith. We shouldn't feel convicted by doubts. A lot of times doubts uh, will come from an enemy. He plants those seeds, those thoughts. We need to take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 
So when the doubts come, what we do is we rehearse what we know about God's faithfulness. And doubt often leads to fear, and fear sort of is one of the devil's big weapons. And so when we are doubting and when we are afraid, uh, I'll quote a great Christian scholar, my wife Paula. She says, do it scared. And that's when faith always trumps doubt. But what we've got to do is take that step of faith, trusting God. Let's go to San Antonio with Andrew on line one. Andrew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, you know, I searched and searched the Bible, but nowhere in the Bible did I ever find your name. Andrew, what is your problem? You tried I have yesterday a problem. With a... Actually, I, I have a problem with the Antichrist and people who are teaching the false gospel. Okay. Thank you for your call, Andrew, and I, I just ask you to open your Bible and study it. And um, It's amazing sometimes how young men think they know everything. Um, Andrew, I'll be praying for you. Here is a question. Let me see. This one is from, that's two days in a row Andrew called. Interesting. Here's a question from our mobile app from Chip. In Revelation 1619, is there a significance of Jerusalem being split three ways? Now, by significance, uh, Chip, I'm really not sure what you mean in terms of the three ways and has God got a plan. I don't think so. I think that's just a description of what happens. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nation collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So I don't think there's any significance in the number three there. I think the significance, Chip, is in the total destruction the complete and utter destruction of uh, Babylon, the world's great city um, in times past uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, but, but uh, will be the world's ruling city again um, in the last days. And uh, in fact, in Revelation, what we've got as these uh, judgments are poured out is we've got judgment that's poured out on... Um, spiritual Babylon, physical Babylon, uh, and then the, the economy of Babylon. It's just God is completely and utterly going to destroy it. But uh, in terms of number three, I don't think it's, um, you know, three is a number of the fullness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, but certainly doesn't, um, I, I don't, there's no reference to that. It's just complete and utter destruction. Thanks, Chip. Appreciate the call. Let's go now to Jimmy calling from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, um, hi, how are you doing? Hi, good, Jimmy. Um, good. Um, on Psalms 146, verse 3, and Isaiah 2, chapter 2, verses 22, it says, not to trust in men. Or what good is it to trust in a man? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm experiencing a lot of that stuff already. I, it, it, things are happening after the retreat, after the men's retreat. Like my friends have told me, tell my friends, they tell me, no, you know what? You're going to be a hallelujah. You know, you're, a, you know, you're, you're changing. You're not the same thing that you used to be. And, uh, and, uh, I get told me. Jimmy, that's a, that's the nicest thing. Well, but, you know, understand, take it as a sort of a, a, an unintended compliment. When people look at you and say, you know, you've changed. You're not the way you used to be. Um, Jesus is smiling. I mean, he's got a big smile on his face saying, yeah, that's my boy, um, because now I feel his heart. You know, the, the verses before the third verse you read in, in the 146th Psalm, uh, it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And the, the refrain is, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And then the psalmist writes, do not put your trust in princes or men and mortal men who cannot save. 
When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and that very day their plans come to nothing. So what you understand there is that the people who are intending to be critical of you, the ones who used to go out drinking with or the ones you used to party with, whatever the relationship with it is, um, th those are men who are lost. They have nothing of value to contribute to your life. And, and yeah. what the Lord would say to you is continue to let your light shine so brightly, Jimmy, that, that eventually they're going to say, you know, this is real. You know, Jimmy, and this isn't for you personally, but I think this is true for most of us. You know, in, in our walks with the Lord, um, we, we, we've, we've been sort of hot and cold, up and down, and people yeah. see that. And, and, you know, um, uh, it's just another phase they're going through or they'll come back and do the same. The way we really pronounce victory is by remaining so on fire with Jesus and for Jesus that, that eventually someday the Holy Spirit's going to knock on the door of their heart and, and he's going to say, do you believe it now? And I promise you that those same people, when their life starts to fall apart and they see what God has done in your life, those same people will come to you and ask for help. Amen. So yeah. Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy, don't don't worry about what people say. I know it's it's hard, especially if they're people that we're close to. Um, you know, uh, my my grandma used to say, "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt." Uh, she was wrong. Words hurt. They hurt a lot. But when we understand the source and the emptiness of those words, then we understand that um, Jesus's words to us: "You are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you." Um, you're a superhero to Jesus, Jimmy, and, and that's the only thing that we need to remember. Thanks, Jimmy. Well, I want to stay that way. Yep. Just stay close. Stay with him. The only way we can do that, we can't want to do it. We can't work hard to do it. All we can do is be with Jesus, and then he does all the work. Thanks, Jimmy. God bless you. Appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've still got some time for some calls. Here's a question anonymously. I touched on this the last minute yesterday, but I didn't really have uh, a good opportunity to do it. It's an anonymous question. If I died with unrepentant sin, would I go to heaven or hell? Anonymous, the answer to the question is it depends on whether or not you're born again. If you're a born-again Christian, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Think about that for a moment. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Because he did. And we're clean, we'll go to heaven. If you die with unrepentant sin as a believer, it just means that your fellowship with God has been broken off. His power is unavailable to you. So I hope that it helps. I hope it's encouraging. Any unbeliever who dies is going to hell. Those of us who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, well, we get to go to heaven. Here is a question from Brian. Um... Brian says, oh, this is an important question. I've been treated unfairly by my old church, and now I don't want to go to church at all. How does God view something like this? Well, Brian, he views this two ways. First, I don't know what the unfair treatment is. I, I'm, I'm slow to embrace those characterizations uh, because I've had a lot of people who claimed over the years to be treated unfairly uh, weren't treated unfairly at all. They were just told that what they were doing was wrong or or uh, they need to repent for something and, and they felt judged maybe. I don't know. But, but um, if you've truly been treated unfairly, it breaks God's heart. That's how he views it. But what he would tell you to do is don't look at the church, don't look at people who will always disappoint you. Instead, look just to Jesus. And Brian, if you're not in church, if you don't want to go, you're the one getting ripped off. You're the one who's being cut off from the very lifeblood that Christ has for you. The fellowship of believers. I tell the people here at Calvary Chapel all the time, Brian, that, that I need them and they need me. God has gifted me to do things that they're not gifted to do. He's gifted them to do things that I'm not gifted to do. 
church is the place that we use our gifts. It's the fellowship of believers. We, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Church is where we come to be equipped for the work of ministry. And I think sometimes, Brian, a lot of people who think they've been treated unfairly were going for the wrong reasons. Church isn't a place to go make friends, although you will. Church isn't a place to, to, to be served by other people. Church is a place to serve other people. And make no mistake, when you're serving others, God will be sure that you get served as well. But to not want to go is really sin. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing. We live in a time, Brian, where uh, people can hear really great Bible teaching just by turning on the Internet. They can see live stream service. They don't have to go and be bothered by the people. But you see, Jesus wants us to be bothered by the people. He was bothered by you. And he wants us to be bothered by the people. He wants us to minister to them. He wants us to be his arms and his hugs and his heart. And we can't do that from home. I have a funny thing, you know, when people come to me all the time, I haven't seen them for a month or so, maybe they've been sick or out of town, and, and they'll always say, don't worry, Pastor Ron, I watched you every Sunday on live stream. I always say the same thing, but I don't get to see you on live stream. The body is life. And Brian, God says you're getting ripped off. So go find a church that faithfully teaches the Bible and dig in, plug in. And when you do, I promise you, your heart toward church will change. We really do have sort of a consumer mentality in the church, and that's really a shame. I think that's one of the things that breaks Jesus' heart. I've had people say all the time over the years, and this is a term that a lot of us are familiar with. Oh, I've been church shopping. Well, we don't go church shopping. We pray and we find a church that teaches the Bible and then we dig in. We don't look for a church that meets our needs. We look for churches that have needs that we can meet. By the way, let me give a plug here for small churches. Every small church I can promise you, is pleading with God for faithful servants, men and women. Everyone. There's so many small churches where the pastor feels like he has to do everything. That's the place to go to church. That's the kind of church where you can make an impact. And so what you do is you go to the pastor and let him know you're available. You know, 13 years ago, um, the man who is sitting to my right here in the studio, my producer, uh, he does the announcements for our church on Sundays as well, besides a bunch of other things. I uh, just moved from San Diego with his family, his young family. Now they're all growing up. But he moved with his young family. And uh, after church on a Sunday, he says, I want to make an appointment. And I try to discourage appointments because... I'm busy, and it's not that I'm important. It's just that I'm really busy, and appointments take a long time. I said, well, what's the appointment? He goes, well, I just need to talk to you. And so I said, okay, fine, and we set up a time for an appointment. He came in. I looked at him, and I said, so how can I help you? And he looked at me, and he said, I just want you to know I'm reporting for duty. He's a Marine. And he wanted me to know he's reporting for duty. I've never had anybody else do that, not before or since. He said, I'm reporting for duty. Now, a lot of times people say those things don't follow up. This guy has been so faithful for so many years. He really was. He understood that that's what he was doing. I said, well, why did you do it like that? He goes, well, you know, that's what we do. When we go to a new post, we go to our CO and say, I'm reporting for duty. What do you need done? By the way, he's raising children who are just like that as well. So that's why we go to church. 340-9585. Here is a hard question from Evelyn. She says, in church this week, my pastor said that our feelings don't matter. I was so angry. How could he say such a thing? Uh, Evelyn, listen to this all the way through, okay? He said it because your feelings don't matter. Now, your feelings are real. And they're real to you. 
But our feelings are so undependable. Our feelings are motivated by our flesh, not the Spirit of God. You know, we feel like serving, we serve. If we don't feel like serving, we don't serve. We don't give in to our feelings. The idea is that when we don't feel like serving, that's when we serve. When I get up in the morning and I'm not feeling very spiritual, don't feel like reading my Bible, that's when I do it. Get up on Sunday, don't feel like going to church, that's when we do it. And we do it because that's our obligation. And I don't think he meant anything bad by it at all, Evelyn. I think what he's trying to tell you is very loving. He's trying to tell you and the whole church. He, what he's trying to say is don't depend on your feelings. Do what you're obligated to do. And that requires commitment. It requires discipline. It requires perseverance. And of course it requires faith. So how we feel about something doesn't matter. What if you feel so angry about somebody you feel hateful to them? See, that's the feeling that comes from the pit of hell. What if you don't feel like reconciling? I love Wes's phone call earlier. You know, there's a family that, that might get glued back together by the power of God this weekend. What if you don't feel like doing it? Well, you do it anyway. You do it because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with his father three times to let this cup pass. Nevertheless, thy will not my will be done, he said. So our feelings, let me change the word from don't to shouldn't matter. It's very important, Evelyn, that you learn this. And the only way we do it is by understanding the goodness of God the power of God and the faithfulness of God. So lighten up on your pastor. I would take a minute to go to him after church, when you go to church Sunday, and let him know that, that maybe you misunderstood him when you said that feelings don't matter. Could he, could he explain? And I'm sure what he'll do is explain pretty much what I'm communicating to you. Our feelings are so unreliable. And I've seen people year after year after year give in to their feelings and cause nothing but pain and damage. And because they're believers, they typically ask for forgiveness, wish they hadn't done it. Every time you give in to your feelings, there's going to be regrets. So it's in that context that feelings don't matter, but they should never matter. This is what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm a servant. Let me give you one other clue. Read the first, I think it's the eight verses of Luke chapter 17. Ask yourself how the servant in that passage felt. And I think the Lord will speak to your heart. Evelyn, thank you. We're inside five minutes. Here's a question uh, anonymously. Uh, Pastor Ron, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the church in the next ten years? Um... I think just the, the free fall into immorality in this world, and I think the challenge the church has is to proclaim the Word of God so that we can equip people to stand in the face of the pain, in the face of the broken hearts. Uh, the world has made a full-on assault on biblical morality. Um, we live in a time Isaiah described as a time when good is called evil and evil is called good. It's getting worse and worse and worse. We're vilified as Christians if we say that homosexuality is a sin. And I think, Anonymous, what we're going to do over the next 10 years is we're going to lose a huge number of people who believe themselves to be Christians. Right now, they believe themselves to be Christians but are going to be convinced by two things, by the, the flesh and the world, and then by the persuasive powers of this world, the media, into accepting things that will define them as not being Christians. Real Christians, 10 years from now, will say what's wrong today will be wrong in 10 years. And the world is invading the church instead of the other way around. So in America, especially, I think the challenge is going to be 
to stand tall and rightly represent Jesus. And the only way that can happen, Anonymous, is by churches being faithful to teach the Bible, teach the Bible, teach the Bible. And by the way, you say the next 10 years, just think about the next two years. That's how difficult it's going to be. Uh, last question for the day. Mark wants to know, will Jews get to heaven even if they don't believe in Jesus? No. Nobody gets to heaven. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, I understand the genesis of the question. You know, Jews are God's chosen people. Do they get a pass in heaven just because they're God's chosen people? Well, Israel is what God chose. Individual Jews were never chosen. Israel as a nation was chosen. Now, the Jews individually that were chosen were chosen because God knows they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. In the Great Tribulation, that's going to be about a third of the Jews who see Jesus' return. But make no mistake, nobody gets to heaven by being religious. Nobody gets to heaven by trying to be good or do good. Nobody gets a special pass. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we do so continually. And the only answer for sin is the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why, Mark, we have to be proactive in evangelizing Jews. It breaks my heart when I see some huge ministries in the city who support the non-proselytizing attempts to support Israel and Jewish people. Not that they shouldn't support Israel nor Jewish people. But the non-proselytizing is dooming them to an eternity in hell separated from God. Only the new covenant gets us there. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630, the word, at 4 o'clock. Pray for me. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.